Tomorrow, I will be um, doing Jimmy Dore's show, his live show, with him in New York City. So I'm looking forward to that. Tell you the truth, I don't even know if I'm allowed to mention that, and I don't know if tickets are even still available. But I wanted to throw that out there, and uh, I hope that I'm allowed to do this. <laughs> but yeah, that'll be tomorrow in New York City. Um, so anyway, if you're one of the people who has tickets, I'll see you there. Uh, it should be fun. I know his live shows are awesome, and they get a giant turnout, and uh, everybody has a great time. So I'm looking forward to it. Um, we have a lot to talk about today, ladies and gentlemen. I think you already know that. Uh, are we going to discuss Jeffrey Epstein? Yes. We're going to lead with that. What do I think happened? Well, you'll find out. Uh, let's let's just say I am not buying the official narrative, not by a mile and a half. <laughs> so we'll talk about that. Trump uh, tweeted about a movie called The Hunt and got it canceled. The specifics of that story are are just, like, amazing. I can't wait to break it down for you. It shows you how that conservative outrage machine is just taking random shots now, man. They're not even stopping to think about what they're doing. Um, 
We also have a discussion of the ice raids uh, coming up a little later on. Andrew Yang catches some headlines, find out why that is. And I got a lot of Fox News today. We got like at least four or five different uh, clips from Fox News that are all worthy of their own segment, including Bill de Blasio goes on Sean Hannity's show, and it's a mess. And uh, Fox News berates churches for looking after immigrants. Forget it. You came to the right place this morning. So without further ado, let's get started. I'm going to pull up real quick. Wait, I'm not sure. Do I have any videos here for the Jeffrey Epstein thing? I do, but it's the next segment. It's not the first segment. So the second segment involves uh, Tap Jaker and his response to uh, Jeffrey Epstein. But anyway, here we go. Let's get started. So Jeffrey Epstein is dead, and I wanted to give you some context to what happened. Now, he allegedly attempted suicide, what is it, a week ago or two weeks ago now? Certainly not more than two weeks ago. And um, he's being held in a very high-level prison. If I'm not mistaken, this, this correctional facility also held El Chapo. So the dude already attempted to kill himself, allegedly, and he's at the same place that held El Chapo, and he somehow managed a week or two after he already tried to kill himself once to successfully kill himself. Something don't smell right, dog. <laughs> Something smells off. So, um... Jeffrey Epstein is, like, quite literally the CEO of Elite Sex Crimes Incorporated. And this dude knows where all the bodies are buried. He has dirt on people that we probably can't even wrap our minds around. I was going to tweet this the other day, but I stopped myself because I knew I'd get piled on nonstop. Uh, there were so many, like, Jeffrey Epstein elite sex crime jokes that were popping in my head, but I couldn't tweet it because when you tweet it, you are going to have people who are incredibly oversensitive who just rip you nonstop. And uh, I was like, you know what? It's not worth the fallout, so I'm not going to tweet it. Also, I didn't want to get assassinated in my damn self. So one of the things I was going to say is he probably has video of, like, Saudi Arabian princes with buff Haitian dudes. <laughs> and he also has, he also probably has video of, like, the queen jacking off the pope, and everybody is wondering, like, why he's dead. Well, I think we know why. The dude kept, and also this is a, a fact, it's been proven that he kept meticulous records. So the CEO of Elite Sex Crimes Incorporated, who kept meticulous records, winds up dead. And they're trying to say it's a suicide. And by the way, it's embarrassing because they're like, smug about it, too. Corporate media is like, there's a lot of conspiracy theories floating around. If you're not thinking that there's some foul play involved here, you're the dumbest fucking person on the planet. Now, after the first suicide attempt, like, I understand after that being like, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe he did try to kill himself. He's got no future. He knows he's got no future. He's probably miserable. His name is tarnished. He's done. He just wants out. He's tapping out. I mean, that's, that's understandable. That's possible. But when he commits suicide in what is essentially a place that is unsuicidable, and I'll get to that in a second, it's like you 
for you to not think foul play is like mind-bogglingly dumb. Because again, he's got dirt on every elite asshole, from Hollywood elites to Wall Street goons to royal family creeps. Uh, you name it. To U.S. presidents, Bill Clinton and Donald Trump had had been on his pedophile plane. So look out now. Um. I want to go ahead and read you an article here. This was originally in the New York Post. And this was somebody who was, had been in this Manhattan correctional facility that they were keeping Jeffrey Epstein at. And let this sink in. I'm going to give you the details of what that place is like. And keep in mind what they're telling you happened. So check it out. There's no way that man could have killed himself. I've done too much time in those units. It's an impossibility. Between the floor and the ceiling is like eight or nine feet. There's no way for you to connect to anything. You have sheets, but they're paper level, not strong enough. He was 200 pounds. It would never happen. When you're on suicide watch, they put you in this white smock, a straitjacket. They know a person cannot be uh, injurious to themselves. The clothing they give you is a jumping uniform. Everything is a dark brown color. Could he have done it from the bed? No, sir. There's a steel frame, but you can't move it. There's no light picture. There's no bars. They don't give you enough in there that could successfully create an instrument of death. You want to write a letter? They give you rubber pens and maybe once a week a piece of paper. Nothing hard or made of metal. There's up to 80 people there. They could put two in a cell. It's one or two but I'll never believe this guy had a cellmate. He was too blown up. The damage that unit can do to someone, it's like you're an animal and you've been brought into a kennel. A guy like Jeffrey, it's like, holy shit, I told my parents not to come there. God wasn't in the building. I've had some heavy incidents in the building. What happened is permanent. Some of the guards are on a major power trip. They know guys there are suffering. They know something the rest of the world hasn't seen that a place like this exists in this country, and they get off on it. If the guards see that the guy is breaking, they're going to help you. They're going to help you break, excuse me. But it's my firm belief that Jeffrey Epstein did not commit suicide. It just didn't happen. Listen, in a facility like that, they would absolutely have video of the incident. So release it. Release the video of Jeffrey Epstein committing suicide. To be honest with you, it, like the default assumption should be foul play, of course, absolutely. Now, they called in, um, what's his name, Michael Bodden, I think his name is. He's like a famous um, forensics guy, and he's going to, I guess, do an autopsy on Jeffrey Epstein. But, like, you know, I hate to sound so conspiratorial here, except I don't in this instance. If this really is what it looks like, which is honestly guilty-ass elites who there's like records that are a mountain high about sex crimes they committed, probably with many of them with literal children, with kids who are underage, then they obviously ordered some sort of hit. They obviously paid a bunch of people off. I, I don't know how high the conspiracy theory would go, is every guard in on it in that prison? I have no idea. I don't know the specifics. I don't know the details of it. But 
Like, if that's true, that there really is this, like, billionaire cover-up and assassination going on, you think bringing in, like, a celebrity forensics guy is going gonna, is gonna to calm everybody down? No, because obviously the, whoever organized the hit here would get to Baden, too, and maybe do the old-school mafia trick of, like, you know, I'm going to make you an offer you can't refuse. That certainly can happen, man. I mean, listen, again, I know that sounds conspiratorial, but just understand, the reason we know of those tactics existing is because the mafia used them, and it's a matter of historical record. So we know that that's a thing that exists, threatening people and saying, hey, if you expose the truth, in the case of the mafia, it's people on the jury, and they go, you're going to find not guilty. And if you find not guilty, here's a giant wad of cash. If you find guilty, well, I can't necessarily guarantee your family's safety. Don't tell anybody about this or there will be consequences. Like, we know that that happened and that has happened many times throughout history. So is it so insane to think that they would, you know, reach out to a, a celebrity forensics guy and basically say, you're going to do the right thing here. You're going to say it's a suicide. You're going to say it's a cyanide pill, whatever the fuck it may be. I don't know the details of it, but I'm sorry, but everybody needs to put their tinfoil hat on in this situation because if you're not putting your tinfoil hat on, you're not, I, I don't think Occam's razor is he killed himself, <laughs> especially given the fact that people from that facility were like, he didn't kill himself. And especially since he tried to kill himself, allegedly, recently, that guy would 100% be on suicide watch. Apparently, even if you're not on suicide watch, every eight minutes or so, you, they have a guard check on you at this place. I mean, how naive would you have to be? You'd have to be like a, a little silly authoritarian who just falls in line and listens to whatever the overlords say to believe, like, oh, no, totally, he killed himself. Imagine, somebody made a good point on Twitter. I forget who it was. Forgive me for that. But somebody said, imagine if this exact situation unfolded in Russia. What would everybody in mainstream media say? It, there wouldn't even be a question. They wouldn't even say, like, oh, officially it's a suicide. Let's not say anything crazy or any conspiracy theories in the meantime. No, they would say, you know, oligarch with dirt on other oligarchs um, winds up dead in suspicious circumstances. 100% that's what would be said. But when it's us, the mainstream media just like, yep, yeah, suicide, totally. That's the official story. We're running with the official story. And if you don't agree with the official story, you're crazy. I really hope all of you are intelligent enough to realize that Occam's razor here, which is the most straightforward explanation, is foul play. But now, now here's where it gets deeper, though. What would the specifics be? That we have no idea. None whatsoever. So Trump is retweeting shit that's blaming Bill Clinton, which is kind of hilarious, by the way. But yeah, Donald Trump also, there's countless pictures of Jeffrey Epstein and Donald Trump together. You know, uh, Epstein was a member, at least at his golf club, maybe Mar-a-Lago, too. And Trump now is like, who? Je who? I don't know no Jeffrey Epstein. We're talking about Jeffrey Epstein. What's Jeffrey Epstein, bitch? I don't even know nobody named Jeffrey. <laughs> so it could, I, I don't know the specifics, but just know, like I said, this guy had dirt on literally everybody. Every elite person who's a perv, who was doing some sex crime shit, he's got dirt on all of them. Again, Wall Street people, royal family people, ex-presidents. Hollywood elites. So what would be interesting to find out is who exactly was involved in the foul play. And how deep does the conspiracy go? I mean, do we have like 
CIA guys or something who he's got dirt on too, and, and obviously the CIA is not going to let some dirt come out like that. I know, I know, I have my tinfoil hat on today, and I know that as you're listening to this segment, you think I might as well be listening to Alex Jones, but my main point that I'm going to keep coming back to, because I think it's indisputable, is that Occam's razor is foul play. Because you don't have a situation where a guy allegedly tries to commit suicide a week or two ago, and then he's randomly off suicide watch, and there's randomly no video of the incident, and um, there's not foul play. Well, you want me to tell you, man, I- I'm, I'm very firmly in that camp. And um, the crazy thing is, we know we're not going to get answers. Because if indeed this is what we think it is, which is elites covering their tracks because they can't have the records go out that indict all of them, then there's no way they're going to let it come out. Come hell or high water, they're not going to let the details come out. So they will find a way. They will absolutely find a way. And they will use any and all methods in the book. Life is stranger than a movie. It really is. I mean, we have the reality TV star fake boss man who's now president of the United States. That guy is the president. <laughs> and now also we have this, like, insane, you know, sex crime scandal involving elites where I don't really see any other explanation that's plausible for this guy dying in the way that he died. Alex Jones is somewhere, you know, fist-pumping right now because he's like, I told you! I told you about this! I told you about the sex crimes cabal! My Alex Jones impression has gotten worse since he's been off YouTube. Uh, let me tell you guys something. I think that this is a clear example of Pizzagate. This is a, re- this is a real Pizzagate here. He's somewhere fist-pumping right now, and he's happy that, like, now everybody has... <laughs> come around, at least on the idea of, like, an elite sex crimes cabal. Um, yeah, that that's the consensus. On Twitter, we're usually divided about everything. You couldn't get, you know, unanimous agreement on whether or not the sky is blue on Twitter. But this is one instance where somebody sent me a funny tweet where it was, like, the, the quadrant political spectrum, where you have, you know, authoritarian right, authoritarian left, libertarian left, libertarian right, and... On, in all four quadrants, it says, Epstein was murdered, Epstein was murdered, Epstein was murdered, Epstein was murdered. So, wouldn't it be nice if we actually had a media that gave a shit to look into stuff that obviously should be looked into? By the way, credit to the Miami Herald for actually, you know, blowing the lid off the Epstein story originally about, yeah, we got a lenient sentence, so there was obviously favoritism, so we obviously had connections to powerful people, so when he was originally brought down over over some crimes, it was like he got to leave, like, during the day and go to work, and then all he had to do was sleep in his supposed jail cell, and it wasn't really a jail cell, it was like a, you know, like a hotel almost, so, um, credits to the Miami Herald, but it's going to be so obnoxious now to watch, and we're going to see it in real time, the media will especially act like, no, 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 there's nothing to see here, nothing weird here, particularly because Trump blamed Clinton. So now, instead of them saying, hey, man, there's no evidence to specifically blame Bill Clinton, so that's kind of crazy to do that. Um, You know, we don't know what went on here. Sure, it looks like foul play, but we don't know. But, yeah, we need answers. Instead of saying that, what the media's going to do is go, no, it's conspiracy theories, 
And he killed himself, and that's the end of the conversation, because the bad man president blamed Bill Clinton, and that's wrong. So, obviously, there's no nothing to see here at all. Oh, my God. They have, like, the IQ of a dog. Like, because the guy they don't like blamed Bill Clinton, all they know how to do now is go into defense mode and say, no, 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 it's not Clinton, and you're crazy for questioning anything. When the answer is, yeah, don't you're going too far to pin it on Bill Clinton. We don't know anything about the specifics of it yet, but you're certainly not going too far in thinking it's a conspiracy, because that's Occam's razor right now. So, anyway, like I said, reality is stranger than fiction, and maybe I've never seen a better example of that. Okay, next. Now we go to Tap Jaker. So Jeffrey Epstein is dead. Um, we're told he committed suicide, but let's be honest, that's absurd, and that's certainly not Occam's razor, especially since he tried to commit suicide a week or two weeks ago. Um, so he would be on suicide watch in any world that made sense, but somehow, magically, he, uh, wound up dead in a place where it's impossible to commit suicide, and, oh yeah, they don't have any, uh, you know, video of any of this, even though they probably would, again, in a world that made sense. Somehow there's no video of it, somehow he managed to kill himself in a prison cell where it's basically impossible to commit suicide, according to other prisoners who've been there. Um, but yeah, there's nothing to see here. So, Jake Tapper is going to use this incident not to say, whoa, what is going on here? This is insane. We need answers, and we need them now. Anybody who has a functioning brain is saying that. Um, you know, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez came out on Twitter and said, what? This is wild, and we need answers. Something fishy is happening. Um, but somehow, the brain geniuses over on CNN, or su who are supposed to be you know, our wonderful media who's going to investigate and get the answers and find the truth. Remember their smug-ass, like, facts first um, ad campaign, which I think they're still doing, by the way. It would sh it, they showed a picture of an apple, and it said, this is an apple. It's not an orange. People might try to tell you it's an orange, but it's an apple. Yay! Facts first! Facts first! Huh? Uh, yes! We here at CNN love the smell of our own gas. Yes, wonderful Gloria. Is Jeffrey Epstein dead? Is he dead? Well, there's certainly nothing to see here. Jeffrey Epstein was a suicidal man. And even though he was the CEO of Billionaire Sex Crimes Incorporated, I'm sure there's no foul play. <laughs> Meticulous record keeper Jeffrey Epstein, I'm sure he killed himself. <laughs> so, um, what Jake Tapper is going to do here is, instead of being serious and saying, wow, something weird happened here, he's going to go after Trump because Trump retweeted something blaming Bill Clinton. So, Tapper is incapable of putting, having two separate thoughts in his mind at the same time. He can't say, hey, man, really, you're pinning it all on Bill Clinton with zero evidence? That's way too far. You shouldn't do that. 
But yeah, something's up and this is fishy and we need to get to the bottom of it. Instead of doing that, all he knows how to do is uh, react in a, in a knee-jerk way, in a reactionary way, and go, no, no, Bill Clinton did nothing wrong and you're a conspiracy theorist for even questioning anything about what happened with Jeffrey Epstein. Watch, this is embarrassing. in Washington where the State of Our Union is appalled. We begin this morning with a retweet from the President of the United States, not a message about healing or uniting the country one week after two horrifying massacres, not about the victims of those tragedies. Instead, President Trump, using his massive Twitter platform, 63 million followers, to spread a deranged conspiracy theory, tying the death of pedophile Jeffrey Epstein in prison to the president's former political rivals, the Clintons. I'm not going to show you the tweet, but the spokesman for former President Bill Clinton responded to the president retweeting it, saying, quote, ridiculous and, of course, not true, and Donald Trump knows it. Has he triggered the 25th Amendment yet? President Trump could use his megaphone for anything, but the president often uses it to amplify that which is the worst of us, personal attacks, bigotry, and insane conspiracy theories. Officials say Epstein died by apparent suicide while in the custody of the federal government. The Attorney General, William Barr, released a statement opening an investigation into how this happened, saying he was, quote, appalled, and saying Mr. Epstein's death raises serious questions that must be answered, unquote. This is, of course, not the first time that President Trump has chosen to use his amplified voice to spread conspiracies. He lied about President Obama's birthplace. He suggested Ted Cruz's father might have been involved in the JFK assassination. He lied that he saw American Muslims in New Jersey on TV celebrating 9-11 when there is no such tape. President Trump has also given voice to the lie that the migrant and refugee crisis at the southern border of the U.S. is a plot by Jewish billionaire George Soros to fund a, quote, invasion. That's a conspiracy theory that was the motive for mass slaughter in Pittsburgh and El Paso. This is no longer just irresponsible and indecent. It's dangerous. How dare you, good sir? How dare you? You're being quite uncivil. Yeah, no shit, Tapjaker. No shit. The dude has always been an absolute child. Now, I'm not saying you give him a pass for that. What I am saying is your weird, faux moralizing is totally useless. What a waste of breath. So let's go through this. He starts by saying, I love this, like he thinks he's in the mo- in uh, the show The West Wing or some shit. He's like, the state of our union is appalled. <laughs> no, everybody's reaction was, yeah, there goes Trump again. <laughs> Everybody. Who didn't say that? Who didn't react like that? Everybody was like, yeah, there he goes. I could have predicted he was going to do some shit like this in the aftermath, 100%. And so could you, Tab Jaker, but he's, he's like, I'm a serious person in serious circles, and the state of our union is appalled. By the way, he acts like everybody's talking about the Trump tweet, when in reality, everybody's talking about how Jeffrey Epstein definitely didn't commit suicide. That's what everybody's talking about. Now, again, if, if Tap Jaker wanted to do a segment and come out and say, dude, just flat-out blaming Bill Clinton is insane in the, in the initial aftermath. We have no idea the mechanics, the specifics, how this went down. 
But what we do know is it is incredibly fishy. 100% it's fishy. But yes, don't pin blame on ex-presidents, you know, based on a hunch, based on the fact that you don't like them. So, yes, to, to give specific answers when obviously Trump knows Dickie McGee's acts about this, yeah, you can go after him for that. But you are not a serious person if you're not saying, yeah, this is like everybody across the political spectrum agrees something fishy really just happened, okay? So, and that's what I can't stand about Tap Jaker, that he's got like this, this false sense of grandiosity. Like he's, I'm the sole voice of reason on the television. And I make sure to say this wonderful union. You could, you sense that about him. But like, he often misfires with his outrage. His outrage is oftentimes like misplaced. So, um, he says the state of our union is appalled and... Then he goes on to say, it's, a, it's an insane conspiracy theory, a deranged conspiracy theory. Again, you could say bringing up Bill Clinton specifically at this point can't say that. But what you definitely shouldn't say is it's an insane conspiracy theory simply to question whether or not it was a suicide, given everything that we already know about the situation. That he allegedly tried to commit suicide a week or two ago, that this place is apparently, according to former inmates, it's impossible to commit suicide in this place. The fact that he's basically the CEO of Elite, Elite Sex Crimes Incorporated and he had dirt on everybody. See, but he's just, he's trying to be a, a, I'm a very serious person and I never think there's anything fishy that ever happens ever. I always believe the official story because I'm a good little authoritarian bitch boy. Um, and I like how he said, I'm not going to show you the tweet. <laughs> As if he's like, as if he gets, like, good person points for saying that and doing that. <laughs> like, please, everybody, pat me on the back and tell me I'm a serious person. I'm not going to show you the tweet because I'm a serious person. What the fuck, man? It's the president of the United States. Anybody can find it on Twitter in point two seconds. Oh, man. Oh, God damn it. He's such a silly person, Tap Jaker is, and he takes himself so seriously. And then he lists, and, and listen, on these, you could say he's, he is making a decent point when he brings up all of the shit that Trump has said that is not true. Like, that's totally fair. Birtherism is total nonsense, and it's definitely from a bigoted place where he's going after the first black president about not being born in the U.S., even though it's proven he was. Um, Ted Cruz's dad killing JFK. Honestly, I thought that was just funny more than anything else. But obviously, it's insane and it's not true. I don't even know if Trump believes it. He just he just says shit and throws mud at the people he doesn't like. And then the Muslims celebrating 9/11 in, in in New Jersey or whatever. Totally untrue. Completely made up. Stupid. So yes, it's fair. You can bring up all that stuff. But however, just keep in mind, the whole point of this conversation should be, oh my God. The dude who knows where all the bodies are buried, the dude who has dirt on every single creepy elite pedophile and sex criminal, that dude wound up dead in incredibly suspicious circumstances. I said in the previous segment, I'll say it again. If the exact same facts of the Epstein case happened in Russia, U.S. media wouldn't even, they wouldn't even entertain the idea that the official story of suicide is true. They would immediately say, 
oligarch with dirt on other oligarchs winds up dead in suspicious circumstances. The default would be Occam's razor, which is something fishy happened here. But when it's the U.S., oh my God. Deflect, obfuscate, pretend like that would never happen here under any circumstance to the point where, you know, CNN, supposed to be the most trusted name in news, they actively downplay, and here's the main point, guys. They're actively scoffing at any questioning of the official narrative already, and they're hiding behind the fact that Trump blamed Bill Clinton in a tweet to try to deflect and obfuscate and now say, anybody who questions the, you know, the official theory uh, the official story on Epstein, well, you're also a, a deranged, insane conspiracy theorist. And that's why I can't stand this. Is because as they pretend to be, as he pretends like he's such a serious person, he's just telling you the truth, he's actually engaging in deflection and obfuscation simply to play the game of Trump bad. Terrible, man. It's so stupid. But again, this is why you guys come to shows like this, to to, you know, learn about news and politics is because you know that this guy's full of shit. Not saying he didn't have some points in there. He did. There's no question about it. Donald Trump is a, is a crazy person and a conspiracy theorist. But that's not really all that relevant when the bigger story is, oh my God, the guy who had dirt on every elite sex criminal is now dead in, under suspicious circumstances. So it's a shame Cap Jaker, but what else would you expect from CNN? Okay, honestly, this next story is one of my favorite of the day because it, it, it really flips every stereotype of the left right on its head. So I think all of you are going to enjoy this very much. Let's do it. So President Trump tweeted the following. This is about a movie called The Hunt. He says, liberal Hollywood is racist at the highest level and with great anger and hate. They like to call themselves elite, but they are not elite. In fact, it is often the people they so strongly oppose that are actually the elite the movie coming out is made in order to inflame and cause chaos. They create their own violence and then try to blame others. They are the true racists and are very bad for our country. Okay, so um, where do I even begin with this? Notice one of the common things you hear from right-wingers is, how dare the left, you know, uh, just willy-nilly, in a nonchalant way, accuse people they disagree with of being racist. You should be a hell of a lot more careful when using that term. You shouldn't throw it around randomly. And then Trump does exactly that thing. Uh, Hollywood is, mm, I don't know, racist? They're racist. That's right. They're racist. They stop. Why? Um, is there a single instance of racism that he laid out here? No. Not even close. He just doesn't like them because he perceives them as being against him. So he just lashes out, and he doesn't need any evidence or details or specifics. Or He's just, ah, you're racist. Bad. You're bad, racist. So they're doing the, and of course, you know, go look at the retweet count, 152,000. 152,000 conservatives, and this was at the time, it's probably way more now. 152,000 conservatives liked it. So all those crocodile tears about, don't let call people racist, they thought nothing. And then Trump does exactly that, and they love it. Just understand, they never had a principled belief in it. They're just 
playing a game, and they're on the red team, and they hate the blue team, and so whenever people on their side do the things that they say they don't like, all of a sudden they like it. So just keep that in mind. These guys are frauds. Okay, that's the first point. The second point is, so what Trump is doing here is he's responding to, he's tweeting based on a Fox News segment that he watched. I don't know which show he was watching. Um, he watches so much Fox News on a daily basis. It's, it's unbelievable. Like, find anything to love as much as Trump loves watching Fox News, and you will be a happy person. <laughs> I mean, the dude all day long is just nonstop watching TV and getting propagandized even further. And um, so I don't know which show he was watching, but they're talking about a movie called The Hunt. And, you know, the right-wing blogosphere and, you know, talk radio and the Republican propaganda on Fox News, they took this story. And what they said is, here we have a movie where elites hunt and kill deplorables. And the idea was, you have vicious, murderous elites going after the deplorables, and all these right-wingers took that as, wow, I can't believe Hollywood is like now fantasizing about murdering Republicans. That's how they're interpreting it, and that's the way that all the stories are framed. So now I'm going to watch you a Fox News. I'm going to watch you. I'm going to show you a Fox News clip on this, um, and then we're going to come back and talk about it. Look at the fallout. Look at what happened after, you know, President Trump tweeted about this, and there's widespread right-wing outrage about this movie coming out. Look at the action that Hollywood took next. has been killed. Breaking just now, that controversial film will not be released by Universal now in the wake of last weekend's two mass shootings. Universal Studios confirming that decision. The movie happened to be based on a satire where elites hunt human victims in the film they're called Deplorables, doing that for sport. President Trump seemed to blast this film in a tweet, accusing it of intending to inflame and cause chaos, and he put the blame directly on Hollywood. Jonathan Hunt, live in Los Angeles, with more on these latest developments. Hi, Jonathan. Eric, in the wake of the mass shootings in El Paso and Dayton, Universal had found itself under pressure all week over the movie, and now it has bowed to that pressure, releasing a statement on its website that reads, quote, while Universal Pictures had already paused the marketing campaign for the hunt, after thoughtful consideration, the studio has decided to cancel our plans to release the film. We stand by our filmmakers and will continue to distribute films in partnership with bold and visionary creators like those associated with this satirical social thriller. But we understand that now is not the right time to release this film. Now, the Hollywood Reporter had previously said the original title of The Hunt was Red State versus Blue State, and that early in the script, one of the characters says, quote, nothing better than going out to the manor and slaughtering a dozen deplorables. That, of course, is the same word Hillary Clinton famously used to describe Donald Trump supporters during the 2016 presidential election campaign. We have not seen the movie nor read the screenplay, so we can't independently confirm that line about deplorables is in the movie. What we have seen is one of the trailers released by Universal in which two characters talk about the right of wealthy one percenters to hunt the less well-off. We pay for everything. 
of this country belongs to us. It's just business, hunting human beings for sport. They're not human beings. Just yesterday, President Trump, without specifically naming the movie, had lashed out at Hollywood. You talk about racist. Hollywood is racist. What they're doing with the kind of movies they're putting out is actually very dangerous for our country. What Hollywood is doing is a tremendous disservice to our country. It should be pointed out, Eric, that as far as we're aware, no one has suggested the movie had any racist material in it. But clearly it did have overtly violent political overtones. And in pulling the movie, Universal is acknowledging the view of many that this was an ill-conceived idea in a time of such political polarization across our country. In the movie... The deplorables were the good guys. So the right-wing outrage was so loud and persistent, but so stupid, they didn't realize they were effectively screaming to pull a movie that actually painted them in a positive light. I need you guys to to grasp the fact that we're talking about the crowd of people that loves to say, us, bro? You talking about me, bro? I'm all about facts over feelings. You know what I am, dog? I'm anti-snowflake. And I'm pro-free speech. Pro-battle of ideas. Pro-free speech, pro-battle of ideas. That's these people. And they were so triggered that they ran to their safe space and screamed to have a movie pulled because they thought that it was against conservatives when, again, in the movie, the deplorables are the good guys. The 1% are portrayed as the liberal elites. The deplorables are are portrayed as the good guys. The Republicans, the right-wingers, I guess, are portrayed as the good guys. My guess is it's actually a little more complicated than that in that you have, like, well, they said it was originally supposed to be named Red State versus Blue State, but my guess is, and this would reflect the reality, it's 1% versus everybody else. So the 1% can include Republicans, it can include Democrats, but bottom line is these are not class traitors. These are people who think the 1% are superior and the 99% are inferior, and the 99% includes Republicans, Democrats, regular folks. And, like, that's the battle, 1% versus 99%, 1% being the bad people, 99% being the good people, but the 99% includes the deplorables. So they didn't even realize that their outrage is totally irrational, totally illogical, and they're actually shooting themselves in the foot because this is a movie that helps make their case for them. Man, I need you to stop and think about this. If you had... Screaming kids on college campuses with pink and blue hair, trying to get a movie pulled because they're triggered by it, and they succeeded in getting the movie pulled, what would the right say about that? You would never, ever, ever hear the end of it. It would be all day long. These people are anti-free speech. They like their feelings over facts. They're snowflakes. They're triggered. These are the kinds of people to bitch about microaggressions. All day long you'd hear that. 
but now they fully, in no uncertain terms, embody the characteristics that they say they hate, and I realize it. What do you mean? When I whine and bitch and moan and get movies pulled because they trigger me, I'm just like a macho man who's keeping it real, even though I'm dead wrong on the substance. Dead wrong on the substance, 100%. See, this is... Like, this, this story alone shows you how much of the right-wing outrage is just projection. Again, right-wingers say all the time, the lefties always call people racist based on nothing. What does Trump do? Screams Hollywood is racist based on absolutely nothing. On nothing. Based on nothing. So he's doing exactly what they accuse the left of doing. Again, they say we're for free speech, and they shut down a movie that they don't like because it hurts their feelings. That's not for free speech. They're against snowflakes. They're acting like snowflakes. They're against safe spaces. They want their safe space to be the entire country. They don't want to release a single thing that they don't agree with. God damn it, man. They would rather, and, and notice there's like a weird connection here between, oh, we're trying to, you know, hey, gun violence is a problem, so let's pull a movie that has gun violence in it. So they would protect their guns come hell or high water no matter what, not even bare minimum basic regulations. When it comes to movies and video games, ban them, pull them, I don't like them. They're a good scapegoat. Let's go after those. So stupid, man. It's so stupid. If you're somebody who's still on the right, what are you doing? Uh, it's, are, how much more evidence do you need? <laughs> like, what, what else is it going to take to get through to you, to, to make you understand that these people are frauds? They believe in nothing. They have no principles. They have nothing. They're not putting the facts over their feelings. They're complete and utter charlatans and frauds. And just so insanely stupid that their outrage got a movie pulled, and it's a movie that would have helped make their case for them. I can't. I can't, man. I can't. Release the fucking movie. Release the movie. Are you kidding me? Universal. And that, see, that's a whole other conversation is... The, the fear of offending conservatives leads to all this capitulation. Fuck that! Are you kidding me? Fear of offending conservatives. Go be offended! I don't give a shit! Cry all day! Wee! Cry over my feelings! Wee! Wee! I don't give a fuck! Scream it all day long! Tweet it at me in all caps! I don't care! I could not care less! Oh, please. Find something else to do, son! whining about being triggered by a movie. You know how many movies I've tried to get pulled because they're against my political ideology or whatever? Donut, bitch! Zero! You want to know why? Because I'm an adult, and I got shit to do, okay? Please. God damn it. This story, everything about this story, holy shit. I know I'm, I'm dragging on now, but... It's just, it's so stunning and so overwhelming. And by the way, Trump could have, so the Fox News segments, I know Ingram did one and maybe some others, but like, they were lazy enough to try to act like there's a real story here, and oh my God, deplorables versus uh, elites, and they're, they're in fa Hollywood's in favor of killing deplorables. Utter nonsense. But Trump, if he had two brain cells to rub together, he could have, number one, found the name of the movie, and number two, double-checked to make sure that it is as it's being portrayed, but no. He's your grandpa, who is not critical of anybody that's on his team, so he just runs with it. He saw it on Fox News, I, it's got to be true, and he runs with it. 
Again, if you go back and read the tweets, he doesn't even mention the name. He just knows. It's movie bad. Fox News, tell me it's bad. It's bad. It's bad. Imagine going through life in that dim away where he's just copy-paste, copy-paste, copy-paste. Whatever Fox News says, copy-paste. Hannity said it, I'm down. Tucker said it, I'm down. Whatever it is. It's so sad. It is so sad. There's really nothing else to say about this except one of the most embarrassing stories in recent memory because it proves that all the shit they accuse the left of doing, it's what they do. Okay. Andrew Yang story, and then we'll take our first break. So Andrew Yang teared up listening to the story of a gun violence victim who lost her children. Take a look at this. My beautiful four-year-old daughter, Dela, was struck by a stray bullet March 2011. My son, my daughter's twin brother, witnessed what happened that day. She died two days later. Firearms are the second leading cause of death for children and teenagers in the U.S., but 4.6 million American children live in homes with at least one gun that is loaded and unlocked, and hundreds of them gain access to a gun and unintentionally shoot themselves or someone else every year. As president, how would you address unintentional shootings by children? Thank you for that. Can I give you a hug? Is that be appropriate? <laughs> I have a three-year-old boy, that's imagining. <laughs> I was imagining it was one of them that got shot on the other side. <laughs> I'm so sorry. running for president for me has been that I don't get to see my family very much. So I get pictures, I FaceTime, and see pictures of my boys, and just that scene that she described, I'm sorry, it's like very, very affecting. You're right that when there's a gun in the household, you're more likely to have a child get shot or the owner get shot than to kill, let's say, an intruder into the house. Those are just numbers. Um, those are just the facts. So one of the things we can do, and it's very hard to get into Americans' houses where all of these guns are, uh, but if we can convince Americans that personalized guns are a good idea, then again, if the child gets a hold of the gun and they can't do anything with it, then it just becomes a very heavy, expensive prop. Uh, and that's 
something that we can push. One of my proposals is to actually help gun owners upgrade their guns to personalized guns free of charge. Because if we can do that, then again, if you're a gun owner, and gun owners are parents, gun owners understand that, you know, and some of them are concerned. So if you say, hey, we'll upgrade your uh, guns for free, when we can do that. Like, you can upgrade the guns for free, and that would help make kids safer in our homes. So I'm so sorry that you um, had to, uh, I know that story should not be possible. Uh, I'm so sorry. So I'm, I'm a little unclear as to what he said there in terms of the policy. He said personalized guns for free. I mean, my, my gut reaction to that is, oh, does he mean some sort of a process where, like, the gun only works if it's in the hands of its owner? I don't know how they do that. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know the specifics of what he's talking about. I don't know if he means, like, a particular kind of lock on the gun where only the owner of the gun can make it function or if it has something to do with the code, if it has... I don't know if there's, like, new technology for weapons that functions at that level. Perhaps that is the case, and perhaps that's exactly what he's referring to. I'm just unaware of it. Um, but, yeah, it sounds like he's referring to some sort of a, of a law or a process by which guns that are in the home are just more secure and more safe, and you can't have accidental shootings involving kids. Because just so everybody knows, that does happen quite a bit in the United States. I mean, overall, we have 32,000 gun deaths a year. That's homicides, suicides, accidents, and every form of gun death. But we also have 10,000 homicides. And um, I don't know the exact number for accidents, but you can do the math. 32,000 minus 10,000 is 22,000 left over uh, gun deaths. So how many of those 22,000 are accidents and how many of them are kids? It's really an unsettling thing to think about. Um, But either way, it sounds like he's thought about this and he has an idea to try to, you know, help fix it, which is a, a, a wonderful thing. And there's a point he made there, which I think is really important that a lot of people don't know, which is, um, you know, a lot of people want guns for self-defense. Now, again, if you could pass a background check and you're, you know, you're mentally healthy and fit, then nobody could tell you you can't have that gun. But what we can also tell you, because it's true, is even though you think that gun makes you more safe, it actually makes you less safe. They've done uh, many studies on this. And just the fact that you have a gun in the household means you are by definition less safe. All of the numbers bear that out. So even though it's a weird counterintuitive thing where somebody might get a gun and think, oh, I'm doing this to protect my home against whatever, criminals, burglars, robbers, whatever. Oh, I have a gun here, so now we're more safe. Actually, no, the statistics show you're less safe just because you bought that gun. Again, nobody can tell you you can't get it if you're, um, you know, somebody who can pass a background check and you're mentally fit and you go through the proper steps. That's all fine and dandy, but just know the reality of the situation, which is even though you think it's making you more safe, it's not. Um, and then listen, the, so the reason why this made headlines is obvious. It was the, the tearing up, the crying. And um, I can tell you for sure that was sincere. So I've actually, I've teared up in public before as well. I did it, I was given a a best man speech at one of my best friend's uh, weddings. And I couldn't, it just came out. There was nothing I could do about it. It just happened. And it's, first of all, it's super embarrassing. Um, You know, you don't want anybody to see you in that kind of a state. 
And so there's almost like a natural pushback against it where you're trying to overcome it. But it, people could still tell that you're crying. And that's what happened here. I could tell he was kind of trying to like, like all right, pull together, pull together type thing. But it just kind of came out that he was tearing up. Um, and he said, you know, hey, I'm thinking about what if it was my kid? And listen, that, if there's one thing to take away from this show, it's, I always want you to do that exercise. Because I feel like that's an exercise that's so incredibly important where it will, just by virtue of the fact that you do that, it'll make you a better person. If, I always want you to think, what if it was me? What if it was my family? In whatever story I might be giving you, whether it's a story about how our healthcare system's so messed up and you know, somebody died because they couldn't get the medicine that they needed at a reasonable price, whatever the story may be, some innocent civilians dying overseas because of a war that we're waging, I always want you to think, what if it was me? What if it was my family? What if it was my friends? What if it was my kids? So on and so forth. Because that's when you start, I feel like once people start doing that, it's not a very big leap to then try to craft a better world for everybody. And that's exactly what Andrew Yang did there. And so, you know, it was definitely sincere. And I think that he's shown a degree of empathy and sympathy here that you, I mean, imagine Trump doing that. Not possible. There was a a story that went kind of viral the other day because Trump took a picture at the hospital with a recently orphaned baby. This baby's parents just got killed in a mass shooting. I don't know if it was the mass shooting or the El Paso terror attack. I don't remember which one it was. But so Trump does the photo op with the baby and he's smiling and doing the thumbs up. And everybody's like, no, this was not, this was not one of those pictures where it's like you're at a rally and everything's all hunky-dory. You're supposed to at least show some degree of human empathy and, like, have a solemn face on, you know? Hold the baby, look at the baby, but don't, like, you can't, don't try to portray it as something that's, like, outwardly positive. We're like, well, what do you mean? It's a picture. You smile in pictures, right? No, because, and then what people were doing is they were showing pictures of previous presidents in similar circumstances, and it's true. They're just more human in that, they react to appropriately to the situation. Bush had his moments where he like whatever laughs at funerals and shit, and everybody's like, "What the fuck are you doing?" So he's kind of creepy too. But there are some instances of him, like Obama, Clinton, Bush. Even though, by the way, I'm not defending any of them, just to be clear. But when the context arises, they know how to be part of the context. Hug somebody who's suffering. You just lost their house in a flood or whatever it might be. But Trump, it's like. I don't know what it is, man. Maybe he was just high as fuck on Adderall at that point in time. And so he's happy even though he's in a horrendous circumstance. But he's like with a newly orphaned baby that Melania's holding. And everybody was like, ooh, man, that is really weird. And contrast that with Yang here. And Yang is like, that's an appropriate reaction to hearing such a terrible, devastating story. He didn't go right to his political talking points. So he didn't pull a bet on my stork. Okay. He, he was like, no, let's reflect on this. And, oh, my God, that's so devastating and that's so sad. And by the way, this is one of those things where it's kind of unanimous. People who are regular people look at this and go, yeah, that's understandable. But also mainstream media eats this shit up because it gave them a moment to talk about the moment of him tearing up. Now, of course, they're not going to get into the specifics as we tried to do with his policy and whatnot. But this will at least get him positive press because it was a real moment. And it's a moment that we're so we're not used to seeing people react like this. Our politicians react like this. We're used to seeing them go right back into their tap dance and their talking points and not really take a moment to reflect on what they were just told. So it was definitely, it was a good moment for Yang. It really is a devastating story from the mother there. 
And, um, yeah, I mean, it's reason number 3,762 that we need to take some sort of reasonable measure on gun reform. Okay. Let's take a break. When we come back, there have been um, a new round of ice raids, this time in Mississippi. We're going to talk about that. And then I got a zillion stories involving Fox News and how terrible they are. Um, They're all over the place, laughing at people who want to fix income inequality and um, going after churches that are protecting immigrants. So stay right there. We'll be right back with that and more.
I was trying to stuff my face during the break. And I kind of succeeded. I was able to get a bagel, a bagel down. But I have a whole other bagel, bitch. <laughs> so yeah, I got two bagels here. One of them is down. I will proceed to eat the other one when the clips are playing. Because goddamn, that was delicious. Cinnamon raisin bagels. Definitely underrated, I think. <clears throat> Alright, anyway. Here we go. Let's, um... Let's talk about the ice raids. These are absolutely devastating <clears throat> and completely unnecessary. So here we have a segment on that. So there have been a, a new round of ice raids. This time I believe it's in Mississippi. And some of the videos that we got from these raids are really, really disturbing. So let's take a look and then we'll discuss. Parents taken away on buses, separated from their children. Her mom is the only one she has. That's her guardian. In immigration raids across Mississippi on Wednesday. I need my dad for me. <laughs> my dad didn't do nothing. He's not a criminal. Many children left behind in schools and daycares. One gym in a nearby town offering to house and feed children who were separated from their parents. I understand the law and how everything works, but and everything has a system, but everybody needs to hold the kids first and foremost in their minds. Today, anxious family members are trying to locate their loved ones who were arrested. There's a website that they were, we were told that they, we could find anyone that's been processed and detained. I haven't been found a single person. One woman telling CNN her husband, who has a heart condition, was arrested, leaving her and their five-year-old son with no one to help them. He asked me for his dad, where he is, and I tell him he's not here. I told him they took him, and he starts to cry because he needs him. A total of 680 detentions at seven food processing plants across six cities in Mississippi. Officials calling it the largest single state immigration enforcement operation ever in the U.S. While we are a nation of immigrants, more than that, we are first and foremost a nation of laws. The raids on the heels of the El Paso shooting where Latinos were purposely targeted also came on the first day of school for those children. An ICE official telling CNN they did consider the impact on children and worked with school administrators, adding, quote, this was planned for months, well before El Paso. We did this under past presidents. This is business as usual for us. <laughs> Some detainees released overnight with ankle monitors like this. As White House officials tell CNN, ICE is scrambling to reunite some parents with their children because of child care issues, many of whom were placed with volunteers and strangers. Well, they're definitely right about the fact that this is not new. This has been happening under um, multiple administrations. Uh, but that doesn't make it right. You know, that's their, that's their deflection, but that doesn't really address whether or not this is something we should be doing. And I submit to you it's certainly not something we should be doing. Now, would I say let's ban all deportations? No. I mean, there's some people who say that. I'm not one of those people. 
because I have no problem with um, taking some sort of action against people who are undocumented immigrants, but also violent criminals. In fact, I'm perfectly comfortable with those folks being deported. Um, but when you talk about what they're doing here, this most certainly is not that. It's not even close. And in fact, there, there were a few moments that stuck out to me there, but the one that uh, hit me hardest was they were doing these rants, uh, these rants, these raids at, a food, uh, at multiple food processing plants. So think about that. They're going to where people are working to provide for their families. So right there, that notion of like, oh, undocumented immigrants just come here and they're criminals, uh, or they're just lazy and they sit down all day and take welfare. Well, if you're an undocumented immigrant, you can't even get welfare, but I digress from that. No, these are people who are working at food processing plants. So they're just being productive members of society, and they're trying to raise their families and give their kids a shot at a better life. And before people jump in and say, well, but they're stealing those jobs from Americans, just understand that we actually had this experiment run, I believe it was in Alabama, where they had very harsh immigration rules at the state level, and basically um, the immigrants were gone over the course of a year or so because of those new laws, and then the businesses were begging for the immigrants to come back because and this is not me speaking, this is them speaking, they said Americans were not doing those jobs. They just weren't doing them. So it's almost like immigrants are absolutely necessary for the country to function. It's almost like it's like that. Now, by the way, I would also argue that people should be getting a living wage. 100% they should be getting a living wage. Um, there should be a path to citizenship and then everybody should get a living wage. So even if you're concerned about the undercutting of, um, you know, U.S. workers and their wages being undercut by undocumented immigrants who are willing to work for less, well, then your response to that should be, your answer to that should be, which is why we need immigration reform and a path to citizenship so that these people would also make a living wage when they take a job. So it's funny because it's counterintuitive. Conservatives think they're making their own argument when they say, well, we got people coming here undercutting wages for, for U.S. workers. But the real response to that, the most reasonable, straightforward response to that is, which is why we need a path to citizenship so that everybody would make a living wage. So there's no undercutting happening at all. And you could crack down on employers when they, you know, when they decide to go in a certain direction with their hiring practices. But, again... These are people who are undocumented immigrants but are productive members of society. And listen, in your mind, if, hey, that's enough to just deport them and in many instances send them back to countries where they're totally unfamiliar, haven't lived in years, and have nowhere to go and nothing to do, if you think that's enough, well, then we just have a massive disagreement because – the only time I'm really comfortable with doing deportations is not only if it's an undocumented immigrant, but it's an undocumented immigrant who is also a violent criminal of some sort. Then I'm fine with it. But with what we're seeing here, I'm certainly not fine with it at all because these are productive members of society. Um, and also, if you don't have a human reaction to that kid crying, 
something's wrong with you, man. And a lot of these kids, remember, a lot of these kids, because of the deportation of family members or the family members just getting arrested, they have nowhere to go. So now they're in the house with strangers. Are you going to trust strangers with your kid? I certainly wouldn't. I wouldn't be comfortable with that. But they have no other option. So now the kids are with strangers, and you don't know what they're like. Are they maybe abusing the kids? We don't know. Would you roll the dice with random people looking after your kids? Now, maybe they're perfectly lovely, and they're looking after them. But even if they're perfectly lovely people and they're looking after them, it's still traumatizing for the kid to have to have their parents jacked from them for no good reason. So, listen, I don't care whether this stuff happens under Clinton, Bush, Obama, or Trump. I would disagree with the deportation of non-criminal undocumented immigrants uh, in all the administrations. And we definitely need to reform the system to stop this stuff, because what a tremendous waste of time and resources, and why needlessly destroy the lives of not just the immigrants, but also their kids? It just seems so cruel and unnecessary and silly and wrong. So um, we can have a better system than this. We can be more humane than this. And unfortunately, there appears to be nothing getting in the way of this pretty gross business as usual. Okay, next. change the graphic for everybody. Oh, wait. Do I have this in the wrong order? That's fine. I got to go to Bill de Blasio. Oh, no. I fucked up. Okay. Sorry, guys. Wrong graphic situation. I got one more on Fox News and immigration. Of a mess, believe me. Unbelievable. Here we go. So Fox News is going to go after churches here. I believe these are Lutheran churches. And the reason they're pissed at them is because these churches have announced that they're going to look after immigrants and refugees and protect them and fight for them. Um, So this reaction is really special. Let's watch As the White House cracks down on illegal immigration, the largest Lutheran denomination in America is fighting back. The Evangelical Lutheran Church in America voting to become the nation's first, get this, sanctuary church body, pledging to shelter illegals and fight deportation cases. So is this crossing the line? Here to weigh in is Fox News contributors Jonathan Morris and Pastor Robert Jeffers, as well as Kunta Ahmed, member of the Shoah Foundation at the University of Southern California. Uh, gentlemen and ladies, thank you very much for being here this morning. Jonathan, I will start with you. Uh, we hear about sanctuary cities, sanctuary states, the idea of, uh, of a sanctuary church on this issue. I can hear in your voice that you're so excited about the idea, Pete. <laughs> I am. <But> you, know, <laughs> you know, we do want our churches to be places of absolute compassion. And in my opinion, we don't want them to be checking people's passports as they come in for emergency aid or need of some, of some sort. That said, we don't want to create 
a place in which the rule of law is not respected. That's not good for the nation. It's not even good for the immigrant who is looking for help to suggest to them that somehow there's one place where you have to follow the law and another place that you don't. That's a fair point. Uh, Pastor Jeffers, before I get to you, let me read this statement from the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. They say the ELCA is publicly declaring that walking alongside immigrants and refugees is a matter of faith. Being a sanctuary denomination may mean providing space for people to live, providing financial and legal support to those who are working through the immigration system. But, Pastor, answer that question that, that Jonathan just raised. I mean, we're not talking about souls here. I mean, we want to reach every soul. We're talking about the rule of law. Well, that's right. And look, churches ought to minister to everyone regardless of their immigration status, but there's a difference between ministering to people and assisting people in breaking the law. The church has no business in doing that. And look, the Bible is very clear about this. In Romans 13, Paul says, government is established by God. To resist government is to resist God himself. And the only exception to that is when government asks us to do something that violates the teaching of the Bible. And look, there is nothing about enforcing immigration laws, securing our borders, protecting our citizens that violates the Word of God. That's the purpose of government according to the Bible. And if Christians don't like immigration laws, they are free to try to change those laws, but they are not free to break those laws. Pastor, very briefly, as, as an evangelical yourself, the ELCA, isn't it, am I correct that it's a famous sort of liberal and shrinking denomination? That's absolutely right, and uh, uh, this is a mainline denomination uh, that uh, is shrinking in numbers, and uh, look, again, we have to go to the Word of God to get our guidance as Christians as to what we do, and the Bible is clear about this. Mm -hmm. This denomination is absolutely wrong in encouraging people to break the law. There is no such thing as a sanctuary church that is off limits to ICE officials. ICE officials can come anywhere into any church and arrest people. The whole idea is imagine. The only reason ICE doesn't do that is because they choose right now not to do it, but they're certainly free to do that. I just want to take the position that they're laying out here to its logical conclusion, okay? They're saying, well, I mean, you're breaking the law, and you can't break the law. The church shouldn't be in favor of that, all right? Okay, well, there are plenty of laws, you know, whether they're in cities or various states, where they say, for example, for zoning reasons, you can't feed homeless people in this area or that area. That's not an option. You're breaking the law. We're going to arrest you if you try to feed homeless people in this area or that area. Now, if he's being consistent in what he said in this clip, Pastor Robert Jeffers, he would say, well, yeah, the church shouldn't break the laws. So feeding homeless people is not more important than following the arbitrary rule about not being able to feed homeless people. By the way, you know why those laws exist? Uh, property value. They want to protect the property value for usually upper middle class or rich folks oh, you're too close to an area that has some upper-middle-class homes or, or rich homes, and this will hurt the property value if homeless people gather in the park. Therefore, we're going to ban the feeding of homeless people in this area. So Pastor Robert Jeffers would have to say, I agree with the arbitrary rule to not feed homeless people simply to protect property value for rich folks. Now, he probably would say that, but I think that just further illustrates my point as to how absurd this argument is that he's making. 
By the way, in authoritarian criminal regimes, the law is clearly the immoral thing. What about in Nazi Germany when they were screaming that you have to hand over the Jews? You can't hide Jews in your basement or your attic or whatever. You've got to turn them over. That's the law. What would Pastor Robert Jeffers say? What would he say? Well, you want to be good to everybody, but you also can't facilitate breaking the law. I mean, take it to his logical conclusion, man. Now, furthermore, the thing that pisses me off more than anything is, this is a guy who's wrong about the Bible on this. There are plenty of areas you could find the Bible. The Bible contradicts itself in a zillion places. And you could find the Bible on both sides of a variety of different issues. But one issue where it's incredibly consistent is immigration. So uh, just to give you a few examples here, this is what Pastor Robert Jeffers is ignoring because his politics overrides his love for his religion and his ability to follow the person he thinks is his God. Uh, Deuteronomy 10.19, You shall also love the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. Uh, Leviticus 19.34, The alien who resides with you shall be to you as the citizen among you. You shall love the alien as yourself, for you were aliens in the land of Egypt. Could that be any more clear? Um, we have more from Leviticus. Cursed is anyone who withholds justice from the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow. Matthew 25.35, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. Matthew uh, 25.40, Truly I say to you, as you did... As you did uh, it to one of the least of my brethren, you did it to me. So the list goes on and on. There's plenty of Bible passages about the sojourner, and talking basically means immigrant, talking about how you need to look after the sojourner, you need to care for the sojourner, you need to treat them like they're your own. This is endless in the Bible. And Pastor Robert Jeffers, because he cares more about his Republican ideology than his belief in Christianity, he says, I don't care about all that, throw that out the window. Treating people right, um, helping them, throw that out the window. Because, he's, he, by the way, he absolutely loves Trump, this guy. And he is really more married to standard Republican politics than he is to Christianity. So what I would submit to him is very simple. This isn't asking too much. Pick one or the other, man. That's it. That's all I'm asking. If you want to continue to be a massive asshole on issues involving immigration and refugees, if you want to, like, defend random ICE raids of non-criminals who work in chicken plants, you want to do that? That's fine. That's fine. But stop pretending you're a pastor. Stop pretending you believe in the message of Jesus. Stop pretending you're super Christian. You're just not. If you want to pick the super Christian thing, cool. But then that goes hand in hand with be good to people, including the powerless. So just pick one or the other. That's all I'm asking. I'm not saying you have to change your assholiness on the issue of immigration. You could embrace that fully. But then just stop pretending that you're all about Jesus because you're not. So, I mean, how pathetic are these guys, man? It's so frustrating because they just so blatantly twist that message. And they don't care, and they act like there's no contradiction in what they're saying. There's a massive contradiction, and if you don't see it, you're trying not to see it. Okay. 
Now we go to Sean Hannity and Bill de Blasio, who are at each other's throats. So Sean Hannity invited Yeti man Bill de Blasio on his show. And let's be honest, the whole point of Hannity doing this is to badger Bill de Blasio. So uh, it was 45 minutes of nothing but cringiness wall-to-wall. Um, but I want to show you here the part where they talk about income inequality and taxes. And this is hilarious because Hannity does nothing but whine and play the victim. Watch. You said that money is, you talk a lot about money being in the wrong oh, absolutely. hands. Wait a minute. Are you saying the people that have money stole it? Can I tell you an exact quote? Let's be fair. Money or I said there's plenty hands? of money in this world. Oh. There's plenty of money in this country. It's just in the wrong hands. How did it get working there? Working because of federal policies that took from working people and gave it to the 1%. Okay, so you want a wealthy... I want working people to get their fair share. Okay, let me... So should anyone be working for less so, than $15 an hour? So let's go... I don't try, I don't like the minimum wage because... You don't think people... You no. worked... You described your life as a working man. I respect that. You don't want to... People should get $15 I was an hour in today's economy. No, I... Because... No, because it hurts the kids that get jobs. We now have record low unemployment, youth unemployment, and it, if I didn't well, work as a kid, I would be in jail. Wait a minute, Talk about people trying to support their family. You don't think folks who are working hard should get $15 minimum wage? Mr. Mayor, let me... Let me go over the numbers that matter. This is what the labor movement fought for you for years. Said, something decent you people. said the following. The money's in the wrong hands, and you want to tax the hell out of people. I do want to. And people should go to taxthehell.com. And then get all the information about my tax plan, which is the most aggressive. I have it. I want to go over with you. So Please do. So the top 1% pay 30% of the tax. And the top 20%, the bottom 50% of American wage earners pay 1% federal income tax. 50% pays one, and the other 50%, the rich who you want to take more from, they pay it all. So my question is, so I, in your city of New York, let's go over to New York, for example. All right, if the top marginal rate, I don't get the deduction any longer because of the president's tax deal. And I think that was a mistake. I pay higher taxes. Yeah, but the president was wrong to take away state and local well, deductions. You want me to pay more, so he's making no, me pay more. He was wrong to take it away. And by the way, middle class people, working class people paid for that what action by your federal, friend, the president. What should the federal tax rate be for individuals? 70%. For folks who make over $2 million income. 70%. 70%. So when, that you means they when you get, combine everything. That means they get to keep 30%. Yeah. Okay, you take 70 cents out of every dollar. Again, how long did we have in this country? For decades. Just White Eisenhower, John F. Kennedy, that was the tax rate every, then. 70 cents out of every dollar. Corporations, what should they pay? What is the top marginal rate for corporations that you want? I think right now it is way too low. I would what, like to, give me a number. Give me a ballpark. A uh, ballpark between 40 and 50 percent. Okay. No business is going to want to be in business, and they'll pass the cost on to consumers, and they'll lose jobs. Here's what we have Here's in New York. Problem. Wait a minute. Wait, wait, well, I want you to know what I pay in New York, okay? Because I pay the 9 percent state tax. I pay the city tax. You have me at 4 percent, you know, in New York. My income goes to you. Um, and I don't even live here. I don't live in the city. By the way, I'm just saying. You make a good income here. Okay. New York City has an extra 4.875 sales tax on top of that. Then if people, out of the 30% you're going to let them keep, you want to then come back later and say, well, if you save millions, I want 1% more, 2% more, 3% more. You want another bite of the apple after they paid your 70 cents on the dollar. And one more thing. And then if you drop dead. 
Then New York gets another 16%. What about the, and the federal government gets what about all the working people who create all the wealth? The guy who owns the factory, the guy who owns the company did not create the wealth. The people who did the work created. Why do you feel you are They are right. not getting their fair share. Nails on a chalkboard. See, the thing about Hannity that's annoying is that he's a lazy propagandist. He's not the kind of person who's going to bring in new people to his ideology. He's all day long, he's preach to the choir, preach to the choir, preach to the choir, to the point where he could just use really sloppy, lazy arguments that make no sense, but since he's only preaching the choir, they eat it up anyway. So it's just really frustrating to somebody who is in the same kind of job space as Hannity is to see how bad he is at his job, but he gets rewarded for it. So um, let's break this down. He's whining about the tax rate for the rich. Just so you know, the tax laws are massively biased in favor of the rich and against working people. So it's not... No serious person says, boy, when are the rich going to get a break, huh? They've had it pretty rough, haven't they? Are you kidding me? Donald Trump just blew up the estate tax. Donald Trump just cut the top marginal tax rate. Donald Trump just cut the capital gains rate. Donald Trump just cut the corporate tax rate massively at a time when they're already paying a historically low percentage of the tax burden. Who's going to make up the difference there? They're going to shift it all onto you, all onto working people. In fact, under Trump's tax bill, uh, over a 10-year period, there's a, a tax increase on everybody who makes $70,000 a year or less. Now, he's whining and he's bitching and he's moaning, oh, I, pay a high, I pay a high percentage. I pay a high percentage in taxes. Woe is me. I'm a victim. I'm a, I love, from the same guys who scream about how the left has a victim complex, Sean Hannity all day long is, I'm a victim. A multi-million. Yes, I'm a victim. Guy who's been on TV since the mid-1990s and gotten incredibly wealthy. I'm a victim. You know how much Sean Hannity's worth? And again, he's being—he's clearly bitching about his tax rate there. His net worth, according to Forbes, is about $220 million. His annual income, I hope you're sitting down. If you had to guess, just real quick in your own mind, what, what would you think his annual income is? <clears throat> Answer, it's more than whatever you were thinking. $36 million per year, bitch. Oh, my goodness. $36 million to be the most rank, lazy, sloppy propagandist on the planet. $36 million a year. And he's whining about his tax rate. See, this is why I always say conversations about tax rates is incredibly misleading. What you should really do is talk about taxes in terms of raw numbers. So, in other words, how much is Sean Hannity actually taking home per year? How much is he taking home, okay? Let's say um, you have $36 million. Let's say, let's say it's more than half, that the government's taking more than half of that money. You know how much he's making per year under that scenario? About $15 million a year in take-home. That's what he's taking home, $15 million a year, to get his fat face on TV every night where he acts like Republicans are right about everything, Democrats are wrong about everything, and he barely does any research. He just spews his talk radio shitty talking points. $15 million a year. 
How much do you make per year? How much do you make? How hard do you work compared to Sean Hannity? He's bitching about his own tax rate. By the way, Bill de Blasio does a pretty good job there because he keeps insisting on putting the conversation back to working people, back to working people, back to And I like how at one point he's like, well, I think, the, I think uh, people should make $50 an hour, don't you? And Hannity's like, no, I don't, I, I don't uh, agree with the, uh, the minimum wage. Oh, really? Why is that? Uh, the kids, the kids. The kids are going to, it's going to hurt the kids' employment numbers or something. The majority of people who make the minimum wage are adults. So this idea of like, oh, it's just kids taking summer jobs, that's fundamentally untrue. There are plenty of people who, it's their full-time job and their main source of income. And Sean Hannity says to those people, I want you to work full-time and not make enough money to survive and pay the bills. That's what Sean Hannity says. And then in the next breath, he bitches about taking home about $15 million a year. $15 million to do an hour of propaganda every night. $15 million. What a scumbag. But at least, he, at least he just lays it out there. Yeah, I, don't, I think if you work a full-time job, you shouldn't necessarily make enough money to survive. But I will bitch about the $15 million I take home for working a lot less than, you know, somebody who's maybe working construction or is an accountant or whatever it is you fill in the blank. Um, and then the other point I wanted to make is he does incredibly misleading uh, uh, an incredibly misleading fact there. He says, like, the top 1% pays 30% of all taxes, or the top 1% pays 40% of all taxes. I don't remember the exact number he used there. But I always found, when they say that, I always found that so incredibly misleading. Because what is he not telling you? He's not telling you how much of the money they make and how much of the money they have. So he's not telling you their income, and he's not telling you their wealth. So just to put this in perspective, he's bitching about the top 1% pays 30 or 40% of all taxes. But the top 0.1% owns as much as the bottom 90%. So when he says, hey, man, the bottom 50% only pays 1% in taxes. By the way, that's him bitching that the bottom 50% should pay more in taxes. That's what he's saying. So the bottom 50%, the working people, should pay more in taxes. That's what he's implying, 100%. But, Sean, they don't have any fucking money. They don't have any money. You want to know why they're paying 1%? They have nothing. They have nothing at all. And you want them to pay more and you to pay less when you're taking home $15 million a year to get your fat face on TV every night. See, this is what I mean, lazy propagandists. He doesn't... And actually, you know what? Christopher Hitchens said it to him, of all people. It was in the early 2000s or late 90s. I don't remember. But he had, and it was a video that was pretty big on YouTube. They were, I think they were talking about evolution and creationism, something like that. And Christopher Hitchens said, in the middle of that discussion, Sean, you give me the terrible impression of somebody who's never read the counter-arguments to your position. And that is exactly correct. Because everything is like these lazy talking points where all it takes is just a little bit of research on the other side to go, oh, okay, so the thing that he said is not nearly as extreme as it sounds. When you hear the top 1% pays 30% or 40%, whatever it was, of the taxes, you go, oh, wow, the top 1% is paying a hefty burden of the taxes, right? But then when you learn the top 0.1% own as much wealth as the bottom 90%, you go, oh, so that's still disproportionately low. You understand? So it's... um. Lazy propagandist, man. That's what he is. And he, he somehow found a way to try to pretend like, as he's literally arguing, that the rich need a bigger break, 
He's also semi-masking that as being for working people. So in the same segment, he's like, I'm against the minimum wage. Those moochers, the bottom 50%, only pay 1% in taxes. And, oh, my God, don't I have it so rough because I only take home $15 million or whatever the fuck it is per year. Um, but at the same time, he's, like, only arguing for the rich to do better. He pretends like he's all working class or some shit. Don't be duped by this stuff, man. It, it, it's, like, it's not even mildly convincing propaganda. Okay. Now we go to right-wing radio host Michael Savage. So right-wing radio host Michael Savage got ticked off at Trump for a pretty wild reason. Watch this. This is the only country on earth where mass shootings continue regularly. It doesn't happen anywhere else in the world. And we are asking why here and what can we do about it. I was very disappointed in the president attacking white supremacy. He is now saying everyone who is concerned about the illegal alien invasion is a white supremacist? He suddenly has joined who? Now he's like Jake Tapper now and the rest on CNN. That was a mistake, Mr. President. I am sorry. That is going to cost you thousands, if not tens of thousands of votes. Listen again to the big mistake Donald Trump made today by not listening to the right people, not having wise men around him, but having fools around him. Listen to this clip, six. The shooter in El Paso posted a manifesto online consumed by racist hate. In one voice, our nation must condemn racism, bigotry, and white supremacy. These sinister ideologies... Do you understand what he just said? He has now combined racism, hatred. What else did he say? Condemn racism. Bigot. We all agree with that uh, on all sides, by the way, including Hispanic racism, Hispanic bigotry of the type espoused almost daily by occasional cortex. Muslim bigotry, Muslim racism must be condemned. There's a lot of this on all sides. It must be condemned. But then to single out and say white supremacy when the Toledo shooter, the motive is not even known yet. He shot his own sister. The first one, okay, yes, he was out to get Mexicans. He was insane. The manifesto was insane. By the way, I read the manifesto. You want to hear the odd part about it, which leads me to ask some bigger questions? It was extremely literate. There was not a grammatical error in that. It looks like it was written by an expert in the English language. I do not believe that that shooter was capable of that writing, and I believe he's part of some bigger picture. I'll be right back. Yeah, maybe the bigger picture is he has an ideology that he was brainwashed into, and he believes it, and so he killed in the name of that ideology, which is not something you struggle to understand when it comes to jihadists, but it is something you struggle to understand when it comes to white supremacists. It can never, it can never be the ideology. It has to be insane. He's just, just insane. That's all it is. Just insanity. It's got nothing to do with the coherent ideology that they were espousing and that he explicitly said, I'm killing because of this. I want to get brown people out of the country and create a white ethnostate. So, um, go back and listen to what he's pissed about. He's mad that Trump gave a speech where he said, uh, we need to condemn, you know, racism, bigotry, xenophobia, and uh, white supremacy. You're mad that he said we need to condemn 
white supremacy immediately after a white supremacist terror attack? And look at the nature of his response. The nature of his response is, oh, Trump is admitting that the only problem here is white supremacy, and that's why he's against Trump condemning white supremacy. Trump is the guy who said there are, quote, very fine people on both sides in Charlottesville. Just so everybody remembers, on one side, there were protesters who were saying, you have to keep up these Confederate monuments, and they chanted, Jews will not replace us, and white lives matter. Trump said there's very fine people on both sides. Sure, some of the people chanting, Jews will not replace us, and white lives matter. Some of those people were good people, right? And then on the other side, the people who were against those people, they were good people and bad people, right? So for the guy who says, and Trump continued to say, oh, yeah, we need to be against white supremacy and Antifa and all. So he's still doing that same thing that you say he's not doing. (laughs) But the fact that you're triggered by a strong condemnation of white supremacy after a white supremacist terror attack says everything you need to know about, what's his face? Michael Savage. I almost said uh, Michael Weiner because his old name was Weiner and he changed it to Savage. We don't need to get into that. That's opening Pandora's box. This guy's got a lot of repressed demons and whatnot, but um, this is like, this is what happens when you live in that far right-wing bubble and you never come in contact with regular people. This is what happens when you've been drinking your own Kool-Aid for two decades. That's what uh, Michael Savage is showing us here. I mean, think about the only people that this commentary is going to uh, appeal to is people who are literally white supremacists. <laughs> like, no, even like moderate conservatives are going to listen to this and go, really? You're mad at Trump for condemning white supremacy, which is one of like a grand total of three times in his entire presidency he's been presidential. Hmm. Condemning white supremacy after a white supremacist terror attack seems only like the single most rational and logical thing anybody could ever do, unless kind of agree with that philosophy. Right, Michael Savage? Right? Fox is now defending convicted war criminals. So Fox News is now uh, openly defending convicted war criminals. This is really, really sad. Let's watch and then I'll break it down for you. Back in 2007, four Blackwater contractors were tasked with defending American diplomats at the height of the Iraq war. Remember, 2007, dangerous times. The men were found guilty of killing Iraqi civilians, but they maintained their innocence, saying they were ambushed. Our next guests are telling the Blackwater story in the podcast, the brand-new podcast out today, Raven 23, Presumption of Guilt. The creators and producers, Michael Flaherty and Gina Keating, 
join us now. Thank you both for being here. I've learned a lot about this story. Listen, this show has covered Eddie Gallagher, Matt Goldstein, Clint Lorenz, guys in prison for things, for, for questionable situations. This one's as bad as it gets. Explain what happened. Raven 23 is the call sign of these four contractors. What happened in Iraq that day? They were called to clear a route so that a diplomat who was at a location that had just been bombed could come through and go safely to the green zone. That person had just been bombed and they're evacuated. Exactly. And this is in September when there was an average of two attacks a day and they had developed a great new technique where uh, they would detonate a car bomb people would swarm to go protect people and then they would ambush secondary secondary ambush mm -hmm. exactly so they get to this traffic circle in the source where and are immediately fired upon and then a car comes through the stop traffic and they believe it's a car bomb they fire at it they neutralize the threat and then uh, their, one of their vehicles is disabled. They tow it out, go back to the green zone, don't think anything about it because this sort of thing happens every day. In Another Iraq. day in the job in Iraq. Mm -hmm. I was in Iraq 0506. Encountered situations yeah. just like this. Split second decisions, mm -hmm. violence happened fast, enemy using nasty tactics. Okay, just understand their description of events is dead wrong dead wrong and you can tell by the language they give you they drop hints in there too as to what they're really doing they quote neutralized the threat is one of the things they said there. neutralized the threat oh they didn't think anything of it it was just another day in iraq which is nothing it's just another day in iraq this is the language that they're using now are you sitting down because i'm going to tell you what actually happened in this situation by the way i also highly recommend you have to read jeremy scahill's book called blackwater it's about Blackwater. Blackwater, are, are, it's basically a private mercenary army that we were using for security in Iraq. Um, and they're a lot more unaccountable than even our military is. So they kind of got away with a lot of insane stuff. Now this is, do you have any idea how hard it is to go after anybody on the U.S. side of a war and do it successfully? And these are people who were found guilty. So think about how over the top their actions had to be to be found guilty, because virtually all the time, our side gets away with it, and there's no justice, okay? Just, just understand that. That's an incredibly important point. Now, what I would ask these guys is, can you name a single thing that the U.S. has ever done that you would say, okay, you know what, that crossed the line, and that's illegal, and there should be consequences? That's my question for these people, for Peter Hegseth and for these other two people here. That's my question for them. Can you name a single thing that anybody on the U.S. side of a war has ever done that you would say, you know what, that's immoral, that's unethical, that's illegal, and they should go to prison for it? Simple question. You know what their answer would be? Because they wholeheartedly believe we're the good guys by definition, so whatever tactics we use are okay, because we mean well, and we're the good guys, and that's it. That's all that matters. Everything else is just noise. So, again... Read Jeremy Scahill's book, Blackwater, to get a full picture of what really happened in the Nisor Square Massacre. And it and really explains to you what Blackwater is, because not only is it a private mercenary army, it's also kind of run by Christian fundamentalists. So stop and think about that picture. Christian fundamentalists in what's viewed as Muslim holy land and functioning as a mercenary private army. Yeah, nothing wrong there. Okay, now, in the Nisor Square Massacre, these Blackwater agents were convicted on killing 14 unarmed civilians 
in a barrage of gunfire in a crowded Baghdad traffic circle in 2007. This, at the time, drew massive international condemnation in the Iraq War. This is when every other country was like, all right, you know what? I, we can't assist the U.S. in any way, shape, or form here. This is just wrong. Now, according to prosecutors, and they heard from other people who knew Slatten, who's one of the, the main characters who was uh, convicted here, he had told members of his team that, quote, Iraqi people's lives are not worth anything, and they're not even humans. They are animals. He also expressed no remorse for the killings in a September 2017 interview with USA Today, saying the only massacre was, quote, a massacre of justice against him. Now, I want to be crystal clear about something. Here's what's not at all debatable. It is a stone-cold fact. Fourteen unarmed civilians were massacred. That's a fact. Now, how you interpret that is up to you. But I want you to notice something about this Fox News segment. Did they ever bring up 14 unarmed civilians were killed? And let me just be clear, that segment goes on longer. I didn't show you the whole thing for time purposes. But they go on, and they go on to, like, blame Biden and Hillary or something for these people going to, to uh, prison. And it's like, okay, well, then this is a rare instance where we should be thanking Biden and Hillary. But I digress from that. They never mention that 14 unarmed civilians were killed. You would think that when the conversation is the guilt or innocence of the Blackwater people who did this, that you would have to bring up that 14 unarmed civilians were killed. Now, they can say, hey, man, 14 unarmed civilians were killed, but it was a total accident. That's an argument they can make, but they didn't even make that argument. They didn't make that argument. They didn't even bring up that 14 unarmed civilians were killed. Why? Because they have no point. So they just use the language of full dehumanization. Oh, they neutralized the threat. What threat is there when there's 14 unarmed civilians? Is there a threat there? There's no threat there. That's not a threat. That's not a threat. They neutralized the threat. Oh, they didn't think anything of it. It was just another day in Iraq. Well, maybe that's the problem. Maybe the problem is that was another day in Iraq, and there was a slaughter of 14 unarmed civilians. Maybe that's the problem. Have you thought about that? No, of course you haven't, because you're playing for a team. Team USA always right and always good all the time, no matter what. And we don't need to hold our people accountable because we're the good guys. <laughs> this is embarrassingly pathetic. Fox News is now de openly defending convicted war criminals. That's what they're doing. Fourteen unarmed civilians, they didn't even mention them. When the topic is whether or not these Blackwater people were guilty of a crime. What crime? Why don't you explain what the crime was? Because I got news for you. If they admitted that there were 14 unarmed civilians who were killed, best case scenario, they would say, hey, man, okay, 14 unarmed civilians were killed, but you know what? It was a total accident, so I think they should get a lighter sentence. It's not murder. It's manslaughter. So I think they should get a lighter sentence, and they should be out sooner. Again, if they wanted to make that argument, I wouldn't agree with that argument, but they could make that argument, and it's a more reasonable argument than not even mentioning the 14 unarmed civilians being killed. This is pathetic, and this is embarrassing. And Fox News is simply defending American war crimes and American war criminals now. What's supposed to make the United States of America good is, oh, we, don't, we believe justice is blind. So we try to hold ourselves to the standard that we hold everybody else to. That's what we're supposed to be in an ideal scenario. Where, no, we believe justice is blind. It applies to everybody. We're not doing favoritism or anything like that. We're not tribalist idiots who say when we do it, it's always okay. But that is what we're doing. 
And that is exactly what these people are doing. And they're lying and obfuscating in the process and acting like they didn't do anything wrong ever. You know who knows more about this situation than these people? The ones who found them guilty. That's who knows more about this situation. They were presented with all the evidence. And they went, oh, guilty. So don't give me this bullshit. They're flat out defending American war crimes and American war criminals, which is pathetic. This is a rare instance where we actually got some justice because it was so over the top. By the way, again, if you read Jeremy Scahill's accounting of events, and he did the legwork. He actually went and learned and spoke to people and figured out everything and pieced it together. When you read his account, it reads a lot more like, almost like a horror movie, where from the perspective of those 14 unarmed civilians, it's absolutely terrifying. An occupying force in your country, and they just randomly open fire on you in, in a marketplace, and 14 unarmed civilians are killed. Because there's a culture of dehumanization. The Blackwater people fostered a culture of dehumanization where they, they even come out and say it. They're animals. They're not, they're not people. Iraqi, Iraqi people's lives are not worth anything. Yeah, you know who says that? Somebody who doesn't mind pulling that trigger without having all the facts and doesn't care about the consequences. Well, now, when they're facing justice and they're suffering consequences for their actions, you need a massive propaganda effort to try to convince people that wasn't the case. Well, you're bullshitters. We know you're bullshitters, and this is absolutely pathetic. This is, this is too far. Even for Fox News, this is too far. But there you have it. Fox News, openly on the side of war crimes and war criminals. All right, now we're going to go to Fox News talking about wealth and making fun of somebody who wants to fix the system. So Fox News is going to mock a guy here for writing about his concerns with his own inherited wealth. This is interesting for a variety of reasons. Let's watch and then we'll discuss. A liberal banker claiming to be part of the 1% says he is suffering from something... Do I have the right clip? Hold on one second. Hold on. Okay, sorry, here we go. This one's better. A liberal banker claiming to be part of the 1% says he is suffering from something he calls wealth anxiety. Adam Roberts detailing his struggles with being progressive and rich in a lengthy post online after finding out the extent of his family's wealth and that it came from oil and banking. So he ethically opposed these businesses, and Robert says his problems started after he inherited about $1.2 million, making him feel alienated from his friends. He goes on to say he believes no one should be allowed to amass such wealth. Gary, what do you think of this? I think I need to drink some tequila. Uh, look, I work very closely with the Boys and Girls Clubs of Central Florida, 13,000 kids, 30 clubs, and we work with the parents. And these parents try to scrape dimes together to take care of their family. They don't have wealth anxiety. They have trying to gain wealth anxiety. And this, I don't even know where to go with this when a person is given it, stop complaining about it, and do something good with it. 
Yeah, that's the obvious explanation here, or the obvious answer for this person's idiotic anxiety. Give it away. If you're not happy owning that money, build something good for other people. Do something. There are so many ways to give back and to help. This guy is the most spoiled brat I've ever heard of. I'm glad he's not mine. Bruce? You could do a clinical trial uh, for him on Elizabeth Warren's wealth tax. Why don't we start there? <laughs> yeah, And then exactly. we could just make him, you know, let it go from there. The blog video with Love Amit, uh, he's not actually would be get hit by the wealth taxes. $1.2 million doesn't put you in the top percent of wealth by 1%. In fact, our estate tax kicks in at about $10 million. So what I would recommend to the liberals who feel guilty about their money, when you're in office again, change the tax code because that's the way it is now. There's step-up cost bases. There's capital gains taxed higher than income. There's a $10 million uh, gift you can just give to your children tax-free. If you don't like it, those are the parts to address, not all this other garbage you guys are talking about that isn't going to address this issue if that is actually what you want to do. Okay, but that's what he's calling for. So I took the radical step of actually reading the articles that they're making fun of, and man, do they, they don't accurately portray it at all. I know, shocking. But, so, the dude, basically, he's really thoughtful, and his ultimate conclusion is that, hey, listen, individual morality matters less than the system. So, the real problem is we need to reform the system. We need to make sure that we have intelligent redistributive policies that give everybody equal opportunity and it, they're rational and make sense. So he's actually very thoughtful in the article and they're just like making fun of him as if he's ridiculous because he has wealth anxiety. I'm not even sure he used that, that phrase. I think that they're putting that phrase on him and saying like, oh, this is basically what he's doing is he's saying I'm anxious because of my wealth. Um, but no, if you read the article, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty reasonable. The dude is just thinking about stuff. He's like, well, hold on now. I'm against the fossil fuel industry. I'm against what the financial institutions have done and how they've rigged the process, and they're against regular people, and Wall Street got a giant bailout. And here I am, and I'm the beneficiary of my parents having been involved with these industries. And so he, did, he didn't know how to deal with that, but he felt bad about it because he's against those industries. So, But again, his ultimate conclusion at the end is, well, what I do matters less than what we collectively do to fix the system and change the policies. So a lot of what they're telling him to do at the end there, that's actually what the conclusion he comes to. So they're being a little silly in how they characterize this. Um, I like the guy at the beginning because he says, uh, well, you know, this guy has wealth anxiety. Well, I work with people at the Boys and Girls Club, and these are working families, and they have trying to gain wealth anxiety. And it's like, well, yeah, but that's his point. His point is... I was just lucky. I was part of the Lucky Firm Club, and I was born into wealth. What makes me any better than those people at the Boys and Girls Club who are struggling and scraping to get by? He wants to help those people, and he wants a system that takes it away from any individual's choice and makes it so that the system recognizes collectively that everybody has this inherent worth, so there's a more reasonable starting line and a more reasonable floor for people. So he's making the same point about what about the working people. That's what he's saying. They're so stupid, these people. And um, the final point I want to make about this is, okay, Fox News oftentimes berates poor people for taking welfare or using unemployment 
And they imply that, like, if you use food stamps or anything like that, you're like a parasite. You're a leech. And their argument is usually that you need to work for every penny that you make. But look at their reaction on this story. Totally flip their position. Because what this guy is saying is, hey, man, I was just given over a million dollars because of who my parents are. I think that's kind of fucked up. And they're making fun of him for it. So what he is saying is, I, I didn't earn this. I was just lucky to be born with my parents being who they are. I didn't earn this, so I feel weird about it. And they're making fun of him for that. When he essentially is making the same point that they make in the context of really poor people, when they tell really poor people, you got to work for everything you ever got ever. You shouldn't even get a free meal, no food stamps, no welfare, no unemployment, no nothing. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Work hard. What he, his example is a more extreme example where it's like, I, don't, I didn't work at all and I was just given over a million dollars and they're defending him and saying, you should keep that money. Keep it. It's yours. It's good, it's good that you got that money. So all of a sudden the idea of, you know, earn every penny you got, they only apply that to the super poor. They don't mean it for the rich. The rich, just by virtue of their existence, are special enough where they could be gifted over a million dollars and it's perfectly reasonable and rational. And if you think about it or you're against it or you question it, no, how ridiculous this person is. So they immediately flip their position. The reality is, for poor people, you should be saying, well, there should be a reasonable floor where you can't go below it. And we give people equal opportunity. So they deserve help. This guy being concerned about, well, maybe the system's a little weird that I was just given over a million dollars, that's a reasonable concern. He wants to create a, a system that has more equal opportunity. And he's saying, this wasn't equal. I had a head start over everybody for no reason at all. So he's thinking about the world he lives in, and he wants to fix it. And they're looking down at it and scoffing at it. And They're not, again, they're not even good propagandists. They're not even mildly convincing or intelligent. It's just like scoffing, reactionary garbage. Okay, let's, uh, let's do maybe two or three more here. So honestly, it's pretty hard to grasp that anybody is as ridiculous as the person from this next story. A 13-year-old boy is recovering after a brutal assault in, excuse me, in Montana over the weekend. Police say a man slammed the boy to the ground. According to witnesses, the man said he did it because the boy didn't remove his hat during the national anthem. Within minutes after dropping her son off at the Mineral County Fairgrounds, Megan Keeler says she received a phone, a phone call stating her son was on his way to the hospital. Quote, all of a sudden, dude come up and grabbed him by his neck, picked him up and threw him to the ground head first, Megan Keeler, the victim's mother, said. The suspect, Kurt Brockway, is accused of assaulting the 13-year-old. The 13-year-old victim doesn't remember much about the incident, but witnesses say Brockway grabbed him, picked him up, and threw him on the ground at the rodeo arena just moments after he walked in. Witnesses told outlets Brockway tried to justify his actions. They say he said he did it because the boy was disrespecting the flag but not removing his hat during the national anthem. 
So people like this exist out there. Like, this is a real person. There's a real person who is like, There is respect in my flag. And body slammed a boy because he was wearing a hat during the national anthem. Man, how does one get to that point in their life? I almost hope substances are involved. Because if substances aren't involved, that's even worse. Because, like, you thought about, like, oh, yeah, this is the correct response. Let me body slam a boy because he didn't take off his hat during the national anthem. The, the best part of this is, like, people say, oh, the reason we rep- this country represents freedom, man. That's why you got to respect our flag and respect the national anthems because we represent freedom. Unless you want to exercise the freedom to keep your hat on during the national anthem, in which case I no longer support freedom and I will body slam you for not making the decision that I want you to make. Having such a childish view of patriotism always annoys the shit out of me. As if, like, that's what makes you a good person. That's what makes you a moral person. Is that you stand for the flag or the national anthem or whatever the fuck. You put your hand over your heart during patriotic songs. It's like, that's your view of being a good American? My view of being a good American is dissenting to try to improve the country and make it better. I think you're a really good American if you fought against illegal and offensive wars because you're trying to save not only American lives but also civilian lives overseas. I think you're a good American if you fight for increased freedom for people. So trying to free nonviolent drug offenders, trying to legalize marijuana, I think that makes you a good American if you fight on stuff like that. These people think this makes them a good... I body slammed a kid for not taking his hat off for the national anthem... And they also usually try to marry together religion and state. Although, to be fair, I don't have specific details on this guy doing that. I'm just saying he fits the profile (laughs) of, like, you know, thinking Jesus was in the room with the Founding Fathers when they wrote the Constitution or something. It reminds me of that picture of, like, Reagan and, and, like, Jesus and this idea, this mythology of, like, we're the only blessed country, yeah! We're so blessed by God! As George Carlin said, we're a nation founded by slave owners obsessed with freedom. Something to that effect. I'm paraphrasing. But yeah, like there are fundamental contradictions at the heart of this nation and the founding of this nation. And it's just kind of like ignored or not paid attention to by these types. And this is their idea of being a good patriot and a good citizen. It's like, I just body slammed a boy for not taking his hat off for the national anthem. But in reality, that just makes you really, really stupid, and it makes you guilty of criminal assault. (laughs) So good luck with that moving forward. Now Richard Wolf is going to decimate Milton Friedman, and you're going to enjoy every minute of it. If I could fucking find it. 
So Richard Wolff absolutely decimated Milton Friedman's greed is good argument on the Michael Brooks show. Let's watch and then we'll discuss. When you see around the globe the maldistribution of wealth, the, the desperate plight of millions of people in underdeveloped countries, uh, when you see so few haves and so many have-nots, when you, when you see the greed and the concentration of power within, don't, aren't you ever, did you ever have a moment of doubt about capitalism and whether greed's a good idea to run on? Well, first of all, tell me, is there some society you know that doesn't run on greed? You think Russia doesn't run on greed? You think China doesn't run on greed? What is greed? Of course, none of us are greedy. It's only the other fellow who's greedy. <laughs> this, the world runs on individuals pursuing their separate interests. The great achievements of civilization have not come from government bureaus. Einstein didn't construct his theory under order from a, from a, a bureaucrat. Henry Ford didn't revolutionize the automobile industry that way. In the only cases in which the masses have escaped from the kind of grinding poverty you're talking about, the only cases in recorded history are where they, where they have had capitalism and largely free trade. If you want to know where the masses are worse, worse off, worst off, it's exactly in the kinds of societies that depart from that. So that the record of history is absolutely crystal clear that there is no alternative way so far discovered of improving the lot of the ordinary people that can hold a candle to the productive activities that are unleashed by a free enterprise. So it seems to reward, not virtue, as much as ability to manipulate the system. And what does reward virtue? You think the uh, communist commissar rewards virtue? You think a Hitler rewards virtue? You think, excuse me, if you'll pardon me, do you think American presidents reward virtue? Do they choose their appointees on the basis of the virtue of the people appointed or on the basis of their political clout? Is it really true that political self-interest is nobler somehow than economic self-interest? You know, I think you're taking a lot of things for granted. And just tell me where in the world you find these angels who are going to organize society for us. Well, I don't even trust you to do that. Wow. Well, dunked and owned. Uh, Professor Wolf, uh, this is the best they had. What's your response? Well, every time I listen to Mr. Friedman, I close my eyes and I say to myself, there's living proof, or was living proof, <laughs> that the Nobel Prize is not given to anybody except if they toe the line. He got a Nobel Prize for telling us that greed is the engine of human behavior, that human beings pursue their own self-interest. This is a man who presumably has a modicum of education. If he did, and I really, I, I must wonder listening to this kind of drivel, <laughs> what, what, what the world, did he never understand psychology? For a hundred years, psychologists have explained to us with empirical studies and theoretical work that human beings are bundles of contradictions, that what is my self-interest is something I only dimly perceive, and moreover, many of the things I'm interested in contradict one another. 
I both like and don't like people. I both am drawn to and repulsed by this thing. I want that, but I don't really. I went and I got that, and now I wonder, having consumed it, why did I ever do that? Because I didn't like it at all. We are not some kind of calculus machine. This is the first noble truth of Buddhism. Yeah, constant state of dissatisfaction. This mechanical note. We're here pursuing our self-interest as if we knew what it was. Human beings don't know, and they're changing all the time. So even if they know, their knowledge is out of date within moments of having conceived the idea. These are not complex ideas, but they're way beyond anything, Mr. Uh, Friedman can manage. And that's not, by the way, because he's illiterate or uneducated. It's because he has a job to do. And that job is to sell private enterprise. Capitalist private enterprise is the best thing, the only thing, the right thing. Just beat it over and over. Yeah. He absolutely nailed it. (laughs) He absolutely nailed it. You know, the greed is good argument. First of all, it's also a Gordon Gecko point. I mean, you could argue that. Uh, sorry, you got the screen behind me acting a little weird at the moment. Okay, that should be good. Richard Wolf is 100% correct. Listen, I always thought we're a mix of stuff. Like human beings, it's not. It's not like we're purely greedy. And it's not like we're purely altruistic. We're obviously a mix. We're obviously greedy sometimes and altruistic other times. And whenever people try to take a a political ideology or philosophy and, like, one of the foundational points of that philosophy is human beings are either purely altruistic or purely selfish, I always felt it was like square peg round hole type stuff. Because it just, I feel like that so obviously disregards what we are. In the same way that sometimes people try to argue that human beings, everything we do is just, it's, it's natural. It's in our nature. It's genetic. It's biological. It just is what it is. And other people argue, no, 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 we're molds of clay, and it's all nurture, and it's all our environment around us and our culture that shapes us, but all, it's all malleable and changeable. Again, it's another instance where I say, it's both. It's both. It's both. Some, some stuff about us is nature, some stuff about us is nurture, you know, uh, and it's complex. It's not, it's not like an easy cut-and-dry answer that we could just give. So when people say nature or nurture, like the old philosophy debate, you go both. When people say, are humans greedy or altruistic, you say both. <laughs> so, yeah, you have to try to create a system that fosters all of the natural human impulses and instincts. You never want to, you know, swim against the, the tide. Um, and funny enough, that's Milton Friedman's argument of don't swim against the tide, but he thinks we're not, we're purely selfish. And that's the only way to build a society that functions is just around selfishness. And it's like, well, no, that's not true. So take, for example, you know, what's selfish about a universal healthcare system that, you know, exists in every other developed country? Well, that's more on the altruistic side of the equation, not the selfish side. You know, it's like, oh, well, everybody deserves this because it's the right thing. It's the moral thing. It's the ethical thing. It's a, almost like a basic human right they view it as. That's a more altruistic argument. But then on the other hand, the existence of any kind of private enterprise, for whatever it might be, 
you could say, well, somebody got into this field and created this product because they did want to get rich and sort of check out. So it's like a little bit of a selfish pursuit. Um, but it did also have some public benefit if they created something that people really liked. So to build a system purely based on selfishness or purely based on altruism is madness. I think you need a system that fosters both things in human beings because it's both there. Um, and the other point is I – I feel like what's, at, what's been left out of this conversation, both from Milton Friedman and Richard Wolff, is um, just the idea of momentum, how human beings, a lot of what we do is just because that's, that's how it's always been done. And we just kind of go along with it and don't think twice about it because it just is what it is. And that's not necessarily because of selfishness or altruism. It's more just because of pattern recognition and the momentum of the system. And I feel like a lot of human behavior, like a lot of animal behavior in general, can be boiled down to that. Where, and you'll always notice, like if you take, think of like some just mindless tradition that you've engaged in, you and your family or whatever, and then, you know, if your grandma or your grandpa's still around, talk to them about it and suggest like, well, what if we didn't do this tradition that we do? They'll be like, what? Well, that's ridiculous. What do you mean? We should just, we should, that's what we do. And you'll, that's, that's the thing I'm talking about, which I feel like is a bigger motivator for human action than most people give it credit for. Just the idea of, like, well, we do it because that's how we do it because that's how we've always done it. So there's no logic. There's no rationale. It just is what it is. It's, so it's not based in greed. It's not based in altruism. It's just based in following the way it's done, <laughs> tradition for tradition's sake kind of stuff. So, yeah, um, Richard Wolff is right that Milton Friedman – needed to make this argument to justify totally unfettered, laissez-faire, free market capitalism. Because you, he's trying to paint captains of industry as virtuous, as opposed to, you know, complex characters who've done some good things and some terrible things, and we can analyze it objectively and say, hey, man, stop polluting that river. No, he would say, well, you're going after them for polluting that river, but look at all the good that they did. The CEO of this company provided a product that was used by millions of people, so that's a positive thing. And sure, he did it based on greed, but the greed ended up being positive for everybody in society. So just shut the fuck up and accept the fact we're all greedy, and that's the end of the conversation. It is very propagandistic. And he goes on to explain, Richard Wolf does, in that full clip, which I'll leave in the video description box, um, about how it was actually a brilliant move of the corporations to find somebody and prop somebody up who was willing to be their intellectual cover. And that's the role that Milton Friedman plays. The role he plays is to say, well, you know what? You dis distrust the politicians, distrust the leaders, distrust the people who want to make decisions based off of morality and altruism, but definitely don't distrust the captains of industry because they're the only pure people who are really being true to themselves and acknowledging that, yes, this society's run off greed, but that's not a bad thing. Very Gordon Gecko-ish. <laughs> that's exactly the argument Gordon Gecko made. And I think Richard Wolf is right. And honestly... If you ask Richard Wolf, he would tell you, my response wasn't hard, because it is true. Talk to anybody who's, you know, been involved in psychology or psychiatry, and they will tell you. It's not as simple as human beings are selfish. We are a bundle of contradictions. We are both selfish, selfish and altruistic. We are both, both individualistic and collectivist. We're both of those things. So, yeah, it would make sense to have a system that fosters all of those natural impulses and harnesses them for good, as opposed to what Milton Friedman is calling for, which is just 
give in to only your selfish side, and that's representative of you, and therefore let's build a society purely around greed, and voila, would you look at that? Then the answer becomes capitalism, which is exactly what he was pushing. final story of the day. It involves the FBI. This is interesting. So Ken Klippenstein did some wonderful investigative reporting for TYT, and he really found some insane stuff. FBI documents leaked to me reveal that in 2018, the Bureau targeted black identity extremists under a program codenamed Iron Fist planning to use undercover agents to infiltrate the group, which it considered a top counterterrorism priority. The documents also show that the FBI believed national white supremacy extremist groups, group membership, would decline. So there would be a drop in white supremacy uh, terrorism. The FBI told Cory Booker and other Senate Dems that it dropped the black identity extremist term, but the documents show the new term, RMVE, still includes black extremists, which they prioritize above terror groups like Al-Qaeda per FBI's new 2020 priorities. Holy shit. So this, this actually reminds me of what is the Harold and Kumar go to Guantanamo Bay, I think it is, where there's like uh, this character who plays like the dumbest FBI agent on the planet who's convinced that like they're terrorists, and they're like, what? <laughs> uh, if you've seen that movie and you know the character I'm talking about, let me know in the comment section, because I'm having vague memories of it. I saw it a long, long time ago, but that's what this reminds me of, because that character is like thinks he's really serious and protecting everybody, but he's just incredibly goofy and stupid and wrong about everything. That's what's happening here. This is, the FBI is saying, okay, black identity extremism is a huge problem. Now, by the way, am I saying... That doesn't exist? Well, no, because there was a, a, a massacre of police officers, I believe it was in 2016, and if I'm not mistaken, it was in Dallas, where it was somebody who could accurately be described as a black identity extremist who, you know, it's the ideology of, like, all police are bad, they're all guilty for, you know, whatever, the murder of unarmed black people, so now I'm getting revenge on cops, and I, don't, I just want to kill as many as possible. Yeah, that's terrorism. It's politically motivated violence. Um, I don't care what you call that, but it is terrorism. So is it okay for the FBI to acknowledge that this is a thing that exists and put some resources towards it? Sure, that's fine, totally. But they're saying it's a problem that is above Al-Qaeda, but that's not even the most extreme part. The most extreme part is they say, oh, it's a problem that's worse than Al-Qaeda, and it's worse than white supremacist terrorists. And we predict white supremacist terrorism will decline. Oh, well, that's now you're just out there in fantasy land. Because we know there's been a massive increase in white supremacist terrorism. We just had a white supremacist terror attack the other day in El Paso. So there's been a massive increase in that. It shows you how messed up their priorities are. But this, it's funny because the right always screams about the left politicizing stuff. This is quite literally politicizing national security 
in a way that makes absolutely no sense, uh, no sense simply to fit the ideology of the far right. The ideology of the far right is what? You know, oh, the, the leftists are the worst, Antifa is the worst. So they have literally black identity extremists are like the number one threat above al-Qaeda and white supremacist terrorism. On what planet do those numbers add up? They don't anywhere on any planet at all, period. <laughs> so this is quite a scoop from Ken Klippenstein of TYT. Um, and it really shows you that that character from Harold and Kumar is kind of the person who's controlling the FBI right now. Like, that's what the FBI, that's the culture at the FBI. That's so crazy. <laughs> how do you even respond to that? Really? That, that's a threat above and beyond white supremacy and al-Qaeda? They live in this fantasy land. Again, square peg, round hole stuff, man. That's all this is. Okay. Out of time, y'all. Out of time, y'all. All right, love you guys. I'll talk to you soon. Everybody enjoy the rest of your lovely Monday. Peace.